Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and as always, I thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. Hope we're doing well as we approach Memorial Day weekend. I got a pair of guests on today's show to talk about the sports in session. It's playoff time in hockey and basketball, and some crazy news with the in the golf world this past weekend. First up, it's Kent Brown talking about Phil Mickelson winning a major at 50, the oldest man to do so. He won the PGA tournament. We break that down as well as the NHL playoffs, all the overtimes. He's a Pens fan. They got their hands full with the Islanders. The Oilers collapse. Lightning looking good. There's a lot of different storylines. Avalanche especially looking good. Break all that down with Kent Brown. And then Ryan Souls joins the show to talk about the NBA playoffs. There's been some interesting series there. A lot of upsets for a change in the first couple games. Is that going to stick? We break all that down. How good the Nets look? Are the Lakers in trouble? We know the Clippers are in trouble, but lots of breakdown there. We also talk about Julio Jones wanting out and maybe Aaron Rodgers wanting the same in the NFL. It's the Money Mitch Effect with Kent Brown and Ryan Souls, and it starts right now. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, we're joined by a friend of the show, uh, big time sports fanatic, and uh, you know a golf legend in these parts at the sunrise uh, at these courses around town in Los Angeles. It's Kent Brown. Kent Brown joining the show. Kent, thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Yeah, after this week, no longer the best lefty in Southern California. It goes back no. to Phil Mickelson. Yeah. You know, lately he was he fell out of the top 100 in the world ranking, so I could claim that right, but. Phil put on a show, and now I'm I'm back to the silver medal at best. Yeah, there was a lot I wanted to talk about, things we could lead off on, you know, uh, Adnan Verk being replaced as the Raw commentator. Frank Stallone has an Amazon Prime documentary. But I guess we could start with Phil Mickelson winning the PGA. Yeah, it was a huge deal. I mean, if you look at it, I actually had a buddy of mine last week say that he really liked Phil, and uh, he didn't necessarily pick him, but he did bring up a point, which is, Phil Mickelson is going to be unafraid of these greens. He's going to be unafraid of the short game. And he can will and deal with the best of them when it comes to long courses. And if you watched this tournament, a lot of it was, you know, who's going to be creative around the greens? Who's going to be able to putt well? And, you know, off the tee, don't get yourself in trouble and be 200 yards away. And Phil Mickelson was smarter on Saturday and Sunday than I would have thought. I thought Phil Mickelson, you know, he's the type of guy lately, it's been about bombs, it's been about drivers, it's been about that sort of style of play. And when you watched him play on Saturday and Sunday, it was trust the two wood, trust my short game, and don't make the huge mistake enough to cost myself yeah. this tournament. And first hole, two shot swing, it didn't look good. But then the next hole, a three-shot swing and fills back in the lead, and it was crazy. And I thought that Brooks Kepka certainly played better than I would have thought as well. But overall, all the credit goes to Phil. Right. I did not anticipate him coming close to winning this tournament. And through 72 holes, he was the best player on that course. And Phil Mickelson is the type of guy that if his short game is on and he's not messing up off the tee, he's going to stick around in some tournaments. Did you think it took uh, this – Type of scenario, this type of setting for Phil to have his best chance. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and all this. And you mentioned your friend who was big on Phil having a chance. But did you think it took this setting where it's a tough course, where it's a course, so to speak, that's going to break a lot of players? That it's something where Phil, with his mental toughness, with his experience, was going to give him the best chance to win one or contended one. 
Yeah, my buddy also who brought that up, he's very knowledgeable. He's been a caddy on the PGA Tour. He's been a caddy on the Champions Tour. He's a guy who knows a lot of the pros, uh, understands these courses, has played most of these courses. He had never played Kiowa, but he certainly knew the course pretty well. Uh, I So when he brought that up last week, it made me at least think about, okay, yeah, Phil is the type of guy who the distance helps him. And he's always been that way. If you look at Phil Mickelson, he was never a guy who was in any trouble at the hardest courses there were. Where Phil Mickelson sometimes got in trouble was he's at winged foot, (laughs) just needs the double bogey to win, and instead he hits it into the gallery and loses to Jeff Oglefee, who's just waiting in the clubhouse. So, yeah, I, I, I do think looking back at it, that it was the design of the course that helped a lot. I also feel like if you watch this tournament, which most people had it on on Sunday at least, is it wasn't quite a Lynx course, but it was very similar to the way a Lynx course is, which is there there wasn't a whole lot of rough around the greens. There wasn't a whole lot of rough on the outside of the holes unless you vastly missed a fairway. Then you got yourself in trouble, and the bunkers were vicious if you got yourself in a bunker. That's never hurt Phil Mickelson. So I think overall it was it was one of those he clearly had to play great golf. But at the same point, it was a course that I think, like, if, if this was their year from now, I think he would be in the top 20. I'm not willing to say he would win or be in the top five again, but I think he would do pretty well just based on the design. And that's also why Torrey Pines is coming up next month. Phil's won there a few times. That's his home course. That's a course that if Phil Mickelson is playing well, he's probably going to be in the mix. It is interesting to me that, you know, Jack Nicholas had the record for oldest man to win a major, the 86 Masters at 46 years old, and, and now it's Phil at 50. I kind of, looking back at it, thought that that record might have fallen, you know, at some point. And I feel like with, with you know, obviously technology, but also people staying in better shape and staying active, it's kind of surprising it's taken this long. But, I mean, all credit to Phil, but I feel like it's not going to be out of the norm for guys in their 40s to be winning majors going forward. I agree. The players are in, mu- are in much better shape. I mean, you look at Tiger a couple of years ago at the Masters. You know, he was in his early 40s at that point. I think he was 43. Uh, it wouldn't shock anybody if all of a sudden a Dustin Johnson's in his mid-40s and he's competing in majors and John Rahm and guys like that in, in, in 15 or 20 year- years. But with Mickelson, he's one of those guys. He's in better shape now. Than he was when he was winning a lot of. Yeah, he kind of set the bar a little low early, which is a very veteran smart move, <laughs> you know. And now he yeah. is in pretty good shape, but at the time, yeah, it was, uh, you know. But no, I, I agree, and I think that it's look, it just goes to show you that the mental toughness in the game and just the ability to put together four good rounds of golf or four adequate rounds of golf and to not let one bad hole or one momentum swing break you. I think a lot of golfers can after that first hole would have gone the other way when they see their lead just swing like that. But Phil was the exception. And Kepka's also a guy that's extreme confidence, where after that first hole, like you could have told me heading into the day that Phil would beat Brooks and win it. But if you would have said right off the bat that it's a two-shot swing, that would have made so much sense if I would have found out that Kepka ends up running away with it and winning by mm-hmm. three or four strokes. Yeah. Because he's that type of guy in the majors uh, you know, in his career, I believe he has, I think, nine total wins and four of them are majors. You know, he's the type of guy that just doesn't lose those type of events when he has a lead on a Sunday. And I'm sure Brooks 
in the future will be in the mix several times. Uh, but it was surprising after that first hole, the way he went the next hole, he double bogeyed on a, what I believe is a par five, mm-hmm. and Phil gets the birdie. And that was the weird thing about this course. And it also shows how tough Kiowa was, is the fact that pros were bogeying and double bogeying par fives. Because when you look and you watch that like never, the Masters. Yeah, that never happens. Right. Like, like when you watch the Masters, those guys pretty much get all their scoring on par fives all week. Like, if they're not at least, let's say, eight under on the par fives, you're probably not going to be in the top ten. Mm-hmm. And instead, this is an event that we were seeing guys par on the par fives, bogey on the par fives, and it wasn't actually hurting them because other people were doing the same. And when that happens to the pros, that just shows you how difficult the course was. I really liked it. I didn't have a lot of recollection of the 2012 PGA that Rory won. I just know he had won there before. Uh, but I really liked the course. I loved the way it, it, it was designed. I liked the way it played. And I'm for these type of events. Like uh, That's a course I hope every decade is in the mix for a major, whether it's a U.S. Open or a PGA. It played kind of like a U.S. Open more than a PGA this week. I liked it, and I like when players don't just run away, you know, just shred the course, so to speak. I thought it was fun on the field. Yeah, there was a moment where there was a moment on, I believe it was Saturday, and I assume you might be bringing this guy up shortly, <laughs> but Bryson DeChambeau yeah. had a chip off the green, and the he it was a bad chip, and the ball rolled back to his feet, and you actually heard Bryson DeChambeau get caught on the boom mic or whatever mic the uh, announcer that's following them around. And he said, this is such a stupid course, man. Like blaming the course for the shot as opposed to blaming his own shot. And as of yesterday, when the, when the footage came out, I don't believe the U S open because Bryson won it last year. I think he gets put with like an amateur or some sort of other person. I forget the whole deal, but we can somehow get a Bryson, and the Brooks pairing on a major Saturday or Sunday, that would be about as so, high entertainment as you could imagine. That was one of the funniest clips that I've seen in like the sports realm. It's hard to compare the internet to you know it's its own thing, but in the sports realm, like how do you get better than that? Because I watched it, you know, it was like it was basically like a puzzle. I'm watching it four or five times and I'm picking up new details. But the fact that he comes flying in with his metal spikes answers Brooks's question for him and the instant reaction I mean I just I don't know how you get better than that and that disdain the disdain like I don't know if Bryson hates Brooks but you know Brooks hates Bryson and that part of the dynamic makes it hilarious well also in this era when so many players in sports are friends and you see it especially like in the NBA and the NFL where they're trading jerseys after the game or in the NBA you're seeing like Kyrie Irving who left the Celtics and his former teammates are still coming up and hugging him after playoff games. Hockey's a little different because we get to see, I mean, there are some friends, but at the same point, like there's not a lot of love loss in certain series, uh, especially watching this Pens and Islanders, but in golf, like I think people always tried to create like a tiger filled dynamic. And I'm sure at times there was a little bit of a divide, but there was never a dislike or a hatred. I think it was more of a, competitive sort of deal where like tiger wants to be better than phil phil wants to be better than tiger but i don't think there was anything personal with these two it's absolutely personal with kepka 
And with DeChambeau, I don't know if it's personal as much as just this is who he is. And there's a lot of players that dislike, you know, his slow play, the comments he makes, his style of play, Mm -hmm. the way, you know, he talked about Augusta last year being, what did he say? Uh, It should be like a par 68 for him or something. And then he barely makes the cut or maybe even missed the cut, whatever it was. And like, that's the type of stuff. Like I, I, I personally like both of them. I like DeChambeau. I find him to be extremely entertaining. I think his thought process is very interesting. I almost wish you can get him mic'd up and hear his conversations (laughs) with the caddies more because he's a fascinating golfer to watch. But at the same point, I think if you're playing with him as a competitor, he's a guy that would probably annoy a lot of people out on the course where Kepka is a pretty easygoing guy, but clearly has a competitive streak that he brings to golf. That's Mm -hmm. different than a lot of the other guys. They're both very similar. I mean, they're both meatheads, so to speak, and they are definitely uh, are, are similar in the fact that they not like, different than most golfers most athletes but they have egos for sure they're arrogant guys and they're they're very skilled and very good where i agree with you the most i think the fact that like the stuff with bryson like you know you know his approach to the game being different that's fine you know some people love it some just like looking at it differently it's the complaining about you know when there was the ants or whatever it was or it's yep. the you know like you said the basically talking down Augusta, which of course they don't like, but I think, and this is my perspective of the matter. I think the rest of the players, like players like Brooks that don't like him, it's, he's got this attitude. Like I figured out a better way to play golf. Like my way is the way, and you guys are all doing it wrong. That's kind of the vibe that he kind of can, can give off at times. Yeah. And that's also the, why I enjoy. It's watching great. No, him. I agree. It's great. It's great to hear. It's great to see this and see some conflict when in an era, like you said, where, we're kind of too buddy-buddy. Like, we've gone too far overboard where now everybody's friends. Like, I'm intrigued with, and sadly, as a lefty, I can't... Uh, so Bryson plays one-length irons, and Cobra has really specialized in that and sells one-length at a lot of places. However, though, as a lefty, my best part of my game is my iron play, and everything is set up with one-length to be basically the exact same size as a seven-iron, which... I, I tend to hit okay, and I would love to just go to a Roger Dunn or one of these golf shops and just practice with one-length irons and see if it's something maybe down the road I should invest in. But the problem is every place I call, I start off the conversation with, do you have one-length irons as demos? Yes, we do. Do you have them as lefties? And then the answer is always no. So unless I go to the Cobra headquarters in Carlsbad, it's one of those where, like, I would just like to mess around for an hour or two and see how that is. And I'm intrigued with it. I think it's a cool concept. And it's something that no other major pro golfer is doing. There's very few ever that have done it. It's not a big, like, national thing. But it's working for him. He's very good at it. And you can see the results speak for themselves. I mean, right now, these are two top ten golfers in the world. All, they both won majors. They're probably both going to be very competitive in majors going forward. I don't want Bryson. I'm hoping that his PR team or everything else doesn't sort of diminish what he's been doing because I could see that happening where like he goes out on the course and it's the same there, but everything else about him becomes way more corporate mm-hmm. and way more structured. And there's not sort of this element, as you said, of I figured this out and, and this is the way to go. I can almost guarantee that's not how Brooks Kepka's going to be, but I can see Bryson DeChambeau as the years go on 
become a bit more less uh, different than all the other guys on appearance. And I hope that doesn't happen because, you know, I grew up and you grew up wrestling fans. Like, you enjoy a heel. You enjoy somebody that you either root against or you root for because they're different. And he's absolutely different. You know, if it's Saturday or Sunday and it's in a major and Bryson DeChambeau is in one of the final few groups, way more likely I care about his group than I do if it's Xander Shoffley yeah. or if it's, you know, let's throw in Patrick Reed, guys like that. And Reed's another well, Reed's guy. Reed's another heel. heel. But Reed's for other heel. reasons. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's exciting. A lot of drama in the golf world. But again, props to uh, Phil Mickelson on winning the PGA at 50. Kent Brown on the Money Mitch effect. Let's talk a little hockey now because I've missed the playoffs. I've missed the traditional playoffs and buildings with fans in the most part. Um, it's been 11 days of playoff hockey, Kent. We've had 20 overtime periods as we record <laughs> this. So. It's been it's been electric and it's been a lot to keep up with the intensities there. You know, not to say that they weren't trying hard in the bubble, but you know, I've missed this level of intensity and I think the fans definitely give them an added jolt. Man, it's wild that you even said 11 days just because doesn't it seems like it's been 3 or 4 weeks. Way longer, I know. Yeah. And it shows just how competitive it's been as you said there has not been like you can't take a night off. I do. I do think that's one thing that separate like, and I think year after year it's this way. But it separates the Stanley Cup playoffs from every other playoff that's like a pro sport in America, just because you really can't take a night off in terms of like it's always entertaining. I understand game two in the first round means a lot less than game six or seven of the Stanley Cup, you know, semifinals or the finals because this year there's no conference championship. It's just semifinals, but. Every night's been entertaining. And even if it's a game that I put on a second or third screen on mute, generally speaking, when there's five minutes left in the third period, I'm locked into that game. And normally, you know, like we joked about, you know, before this game is just overtimes have just taken over all this. And uh, I do feel like I wish there were more fans, especially up north in Canada. I know they're just getting back to the element of like, opening things up in Ontario and opening things up in certain places. So I don't know. And you might know this, like, is there any hope that in Toronto or maybe in Winnipeg that like there will be some fans Mm -hmm. at some point, or is it just, we're going to have to live with for any of the Canadian teams. We're not going to have it because it would be cool. I mean, it would be really cool to watch the Leafs, assuming they close out the series and you watch the Leafs have home ice for a chance to go to the semifinals. Like, that would be cool to see that. I know Toronto and Montreal having a series, and, you know, the the most storied rivalry in hockey history, no fans, there is a letdown. But there is hope from what I'm understanding is that there will be some level of fans in the weeks coming up. Uh, You know, you also got to figure out which Canadian team makes the Final Four and getting them into America, it seems like, to kind of figure out where the Final Four will be played at. But there's been no shortage of storylines. I think the biggest one is... Got to be the choke job of the Edmonton Oilers. They go out in four games as favorites, as the two seed in that division to Winnipeg. Who I will say, Kent, Winnipeg is an underrated team. They put it together. They were the classic sleeping giant through the season. But they do have a very deep, well-rounded team and good goaltending. But this is 100% a reflection of Edmonton's inability to do anything in the playoffs for another year where they have the two top scorers in the league and they can't get out of the first round. 
Yeah, it's it's very, I would say, I don't know if I'm quite being too hyperbolic here, but humiliating is kind of the no, term I fair. come up with. That's because fair. you have the unquestioned MVP of the league. You have the second leading scorer in the league. You have a guy who is, you know, it's a, it's a generational talent in Connor McDavid, much like the same way that Mike Trout is that way with the Angels. And I bring it up on both sports a lot because you have these guys and yet, like, nothing showing in the postseason when it comes to the Oilers. And it does become a question now is like, what is McDavid's future and where does he go? Is the Oilers, is Edmonton the place that he will try to build his legacy or is it worth exploring other options and being like, I can't do it here. Mm -hmm. It's time to move on somewhere else because, you know, he's in the absolute prime of his career. He had, arguably one of the best regular seasons of any player that we've seen in the last 20 years. If you just look at stats and the amount of games he played and yet swept in the playoffs, not even really all that competitive. I mean, I know that they didn't get blown out in every game, but again, you get swept against the team. Like this isn't, and the yeah. jets are fine. Like, as you said, mm-hmm. they're a good team. They're honestly probably on paper. They're pretty similar to Edmonton. I wouldn't say the well, jets are like way worse, the, yeah. but, yeah, they the, shouldn't be a team that's no. sweeping any team in the playoffs. And that's where the issue becomes. And, you know, it's one of those, I want to see the Oilers make a run. I want to see yeah, them be team the that's in a Stanley Cup finals and, you know, star power. Because as a hockey fan, it's nice when, I mean, as much as I root against the Capitals and Ovechkin in terms of, you know, I don't cheer for them. Like when they were in the Cup finals, I wasn't rooting them on. But I will say, it's cool to see him make the cup finals and then win it. Like that was, you know, I'm not anti Ovechkin. I just don't, it, I would have preferred him not to win, but it's one of those, it's cool for the sport when the stars peak at their top moment. And for Connor McDavid, as good as he was this year, and he was as good as any player by far in the league, he's out like yeah. he's home now and that's mm-hmm. it. And, and it's very disappointing. And, yeah, the Oilers right now, that's absolutely the story. And, again, I want to give credit to the Jets. You sweep a team, That's there's no other team that's sweeping anybody in this round so far. Yeah. But I just thought that that was, you know, as I said, humiliating in that you can't let that happen. You have to well, at least get the game six or game seven. You can't build a team around wherever McDavid goes. I mean, I'm not saying he's leaving. He might want to explore it at some point sooner rather than later. But you cannot build a team around one line, no matter how good that line is. And it, and it goes deeper than that. Edmonton has one set of solid defensemen. They've got one good forward line, and that's basically been it. And that will not work in this sport. It might work in basketball. It might work in you know having a couple of good skill guys on your offense in football. But you have to have depth. And you've seen it as a Pittsburgh fan. The yes. years where Crosby and Malkin have been elite, you know that that dry run of uh, you know oh nine to twenty sixteen seventeen. I mean, there was a reason why. You know those were elite level seasons, and they just you know you need to have depth. So that's the Oilers have failed him in that regard in terms of a team around him. He could have played a little better at times too, but you know hockey's game played on the margins. And Winnipeg, to their credit, just warmed down. It was a tough matchup, and they were playing themselves into shape. So I, I agree. I mean, it looks like Toronto Winnipeg is going to be the matchup. That'll be a fun series that Toronto will be favored in. I will say, don't sleep on Winnipeg because Montreal was the worst. Team to make the playoffs they had a negative goal differential so i'm not i'm not taking much out of toronto they're handling business they're going to win their first series in 17 years this next series will open some eyes 
uh, for sure. But Ken, I do want to, you know, I, I want to get your take on the Penguins and the Islanders because we're getting ready for Game Six and. Pens down 3-2. It's been a seesaw series, to say the least. Game 5 was a game that the Penguins outplayed the Islanders, but Isles got a good performance from their goalie, Sorokin, and Pittsburgh's you know Yari and Nett just absolutely gift wraps that game. How are we feeling going into Game 6? Not great. I feel like Game 5 was really the one that I thought whoever wins this is probably going to win the series. It's not impossible. The Penguins have already done it in this series where they won two in a row after losing the first game. But I just thought game five was their game. And that was the game that you have to find a way to get the win and put all the pressure on the Islanders. You know, you go back to the Coliseum there in Long Island and you hope that this is the farewell. (laughs) And instead now the Islanders are, I think very confident. They played a pretty good last five, last seven minutes of the third period carried it into the first overtime. There wasn't a huge advantage. But, you know, midway through the first period into the midway into the third period, the Penguins were about as dominant as I've seen them in a a while. And yet, I understand Sorokin, as I texted you, he looked like Patrick Wall all of a sudden. But the Penguins had opportunities. They had chances to get a two-goal lead. I think if they got up two goals in that game, that would have been enough to win. I don't see the Islanders scoring three in regulation. But the play in double overtime where I don't know what Jari's doing. I don't understand. Like, there's no logic in him trying to force a pass there. And if you're going to do it, you better go to the boards where things are at least going to be harder to score quickly. And it was, you know, I mean, jokingly, somebody said that was one of the best passes the Islanders had all game, (laughs) you know. And it just happened to be from a Penguins goalie. So uh, it was disappointing. And... You know, like my brother was at the game and I texted him after and said, like, you know, like that sucks because like that's just the game that they should have won. And I really felt like if they get up three, two, I like their chances to win one of these last two. Now to ask to win both. I just I don't know. I don't feel I, I'm not saying like I would say 35, 65. Like, I think there's a like almost like a two thirds chance that yeah. the Islanders find a way to win this. And also the Islanders are like, I'm not trying to discredit them either. I think the Islanders are not that far off of the Penguins, to be honest. So that's where like heading into the series, I thought probably Penguins in six, but it wouldn't have shocked me if it went five or seven. I did feel good them winning the series, but game five was just such a game that like everything about that game said the Penguins should have won, and yet they found the way to lose. And uh, to me, that's probably going to be the difference in the series. Unless the Pens play a great game six and a great game seven, I think they're going to fall short. And you can look back at game Mm -hmm. five and say, that was really the one that lost them in the series. The Isles are tough to play against. I mean, I say it time and time again, but Barry Trotz's system with that roster, they're not going to make it easy on you. They're going to grind it out. It's not flashy, and it doesn't. they don't have the big names that Pittsburgh does, but they have a system that works, and they're going to make you earn everything, and they will capitalize on mistakes. I don't think Pittsburgh— And I also is, think, yeah. by the way, I think it's been such a good year for the Penguins. I didn't expect them to— win the East division. I did not. I thought they would be borderline playoffs at best. Frankly, I kind of thought like it wouldn't have surprised me at all if they missed the playoffs, especially early in the year where seemingly the defense and the goaltending was a nightmare. I thought, eh, you know what? Fourth or fifth place kind of seems best case. Yeah, they were a trendy instead, pick to miss the playoffs and they win the division. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So on that level, it was, it was, it's been an awesome season. 
but it's now been a couple years where they haven't showed up in the playoffs. I mean, this was a team that heading into this year had lost, I believe, you know, eight of its last nine playoff games or nine of its last ten, and all of a sudden now this could be multiple straight years where they lay an egg in the first round, you know, and it's not quite as bad as it was against the Islanders a couple of years ago or even the Capitals last year. But I just, I don't know. I, I, I was hoping that worst case, find a way to at least win this round. And if you happen to lose two at the time, Capitals or Bruins, so be it. Yeah. And look, I think the Bruins are going to be a brutal matchup if somehow they're the good, man. I mean, they're, they're going to be tough for either team. They are rounding oh, yeah. into form and they, I mean, they took the Capitals to the woodshed in those last three games. I mean, they are, they are elite level up front. Their back end's playing well with McAvoy. Rask is locked in. They're, they're tough for whoever makes it out of this series. Yeah, I would think I, – I, I thought going into the playoffs, like I picked the Bruins to come out of the East. And there's not a lot as of now to make me think that they won't again. Uh, I love the way the Avalanche have played, and I think the Avalanche, uh, you know, certainly I, I feel like they're the favorite against it, Vegas it, it, yeah, in that, that. That that avalanche, I mean, they dismantled the Blues, who again kind of limped in. Uh, Vegas is is having some hiccups with Minnesota, which, by the way, that was the weirdest game of the playoffs. Vegas, Minnesota, game five. Minnesota got a couple goals early on. Flurry uh, was up three one in the first. From that point on, it was all Vegas, but they can only score one more goal. Minnesota just basically held on for forty minutes, and you never see that work, but it did. So I still expect Vegas to come out of there. Vegas, Colorado is is lo- looking like a potential great second round matchup, but. Colorado with their speed, uh, with their ability, I mean, with their ability on the back end, they've got maybe the most underrated decor in all of hockey right now. And Nathan McKinnon, who is probably behind McDavid, that next guy. You know, he's been overshadowed by him and maybe Austin Matthews a little bit, but he's a bowling ball and has maybe the quickest release in hockey. So I think Colorado, they won the President's Trophy for a reason. I think they're they're looming as well. Yeah, I would say so. I feel like right now if I had to pick, and I'm not exactly sure just because I'd have to go through the exact standings and figure out who the final four are because this year we have that adjusted final four based on Mm -hmm. points. But I would go Avalanche and Bruins to me are kind of the two teams I'm liking the most. And I then like after Tampa, that, man. And look, and, I like and I'm, Tampa. And I'm saying that, and then there's still the Tampa Bay Lightning that, <laughs> well, you know, Florida, they're so, saying, hey, hey, don't forget about us. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's the thing with that. Like, Florida-Tampa has been a great series. It's great. You know, the Panthers, I texted you, they've been bringing out all the Miami f- football coaches. They had yes. Manny Diaz at the game the other night. Flores has been there. Um, you know, they, they, they played Bobrovsky and, Dr- and Drieger. They played two goalies that didn't give them much of anything. Granted, they weren't getting much help from their defense. Then they played their the kid, their first-round draft pick, Spencer Knight, who I think became the first goalie ever to play in the college you know tournament. Frozen or tur- I don't think they made the Frozen Four, but played in the NCAA tournament this year and is already starting a playoff game. I mean, he's yeah, a first-round pick. Yeah, American kid from Connecticut, but he's already doing that. So... Did they mess up by not playing him early? I don't know. I, I still feel like Tampa is going to come out of there. And, you know, we, we just saw Carolina and Nashville who played overtime after overtime. It's 3-2 Carolina going back to Nashville. But Tampa is going to be the favorite if they come out over any one of those teams. So if Tampa gets to the Final Four and you're looking at Tampa, Toronto, Colorado, and uh, Boston, cool. I mean, my God, that's a great Final Four, which probably means it won't happen. Somebody will crash the party. But right. then there's potential there. Yeah, it'll end up Winnipeg will crash the party, and 
I mean, I know that you've already sort of anointed, and I agree with you in that Toronto should beat the the Habs, but there's still a little Toronto. It is Toronto. Yeah, it's still Toronto, and if Montreal can just get to a game six, at that point the pressure is like seven hundred times the amount. That's true, and no John Tavares in that situation. No John Tavares also which was one of the an awful injury and just a total fluke. I mean there was nothing. I I hate I I dislike Corey Perry. Hates a strong word as much as the uh, <laughs> next man, but he didn't do anything wrong there. That that was just a fluke injury. I I'm saying and I agree with you Toronto is got that curse vibe, but with no fans and the fact that Montreal is it's more of a reflection of Montreal. I just don't think they're good at all. I just, right, I can't but see but it. I I do think as you said earlier, the Jets are a live dog in that series and Absolutely. they're a team that it's almost too easy to assume it's going to be Boston, the Bolts, the Avs, and the Leafs. Chances are somebody doesn't make it through. And maybe it is, you know, an Islanders that comes through or if the Penguins can somehow yeah. win the next two. Or I mean, obviously, the Knights are still the second mm-hmm. most likely that, team to win the Stanley Cup going into the yeah. playoffs. So, like, who's to say they can't do it? But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued with I really am. If it's a Colorado – Tampa, Toronto, and then you throw in Boston Final Four. That's going to be a lot of fun. All those teams pretty much, I mean, maybe with the exception of the Islanders, I mean, they have a lot of speed. And I think that what separates Colorado and maybe Tampa Bay, those are probably the two teams I favor in this tournament, are they have so many elite-level scores. It's not just the Nathan McKinnon show or the Kucherov-Stamco show. There's a lot of a lot of players that can finish and score. So um, we'll see. Goaltending plays, plays a factor as well. Because if Sorokin gets hot, if Soros in uh, in Nashville gets hot, who knows? I mean, it, it, it's going to be fun to watch. But well, that's the other yeah. thing too. You said about the the Florida Panthers and whether they should have went with the rookie. But the one thing that's tough is it really is a hard thing to evaluate as a staff and as a coach to know which goalie you expect to be the one in the postseason if you don't already have that stud. Uh, and you see year after year, there's you know, some stud that comes out of nowhere or there's somebody who all of a sudden you expect to be like the linchpin on a team and he is. And so I'm I'm not going to fault the Panthers for maybe not going early in that case, just because it's hard to think, as you said, you just played in the NCAA tournament and now you should be playing in the Stanley Cup playoff. It would be hard to pull that trigger if you're a coaching staff. Kent Brown, this has been a pleasure having you on the Money Mitch Effect as always. Uh, before I let you go, any any wrestling news we need to be up in the know about other than just the WWE cleaning house? Um, I think I think that's all that's going on right now. Well, I mean, you have AEW Double or Nothing this, this Sunday, so that should be fun. I mean, it, as we're recording this on Tuesday night, it's the two-year anniversary of of the AEW first ever pay-per-view that they had in Vegas on on Memorial Day weekend two years ago. And you were in Vegas at that time. I was in Vegas. I went to the event. So uh, it's been a good two-year run for them. They have another stadium stampede match on Sunday night that should be fun. And, you know, I'm I'm rooting for them. I think that they've done well. Like They just added a TV show to their repertoire. They're going to officially, with Turner getting the NHL, going forward next year they're going to shift over to tbs and add a second show but uh so so that's cool and that's always something to watch and then this morning i was texting you just some i mean buff bagwell's back in the news it's also funny that 
Buff Bagwell gets arrested for 10 misdemeanors in Cobb County. That just happens to be the county of the big boss, man. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that there's an angle here, but all I'm saying is if I was some local promoter and I was able to get big boss, man, I mean, he's dead, but you can dress somebody up like a cop in Cobb County and get Buff, Buff Bagwell in some, you know, high school gym there in Cobb County. I said go for that. Like Alexa Bliss had some like animal die because the vets wouldn't yeah. save their life. Tragic. Adnan Burke is out at, at, after about a month or a month and a half. And he uh, like was it ESPN, MLB Network. It just seemed like a weird thing. And look, that's a brutal job. Like Vince McMahon is clearly a guy that's hard to announce for. And when you come from real announcing where you might have a producer chime in and be like, hey, this guy's four for six shooting. So watch out if he makes his next three. That's way different than Vince McMahon screaming at you for three hours on a Monday Night Raw when, frankly, Monday Night Raw is not all that entertaining. So, yeah, there's always wrestling news stories. The rumors John Cena's coming back. Both AEW and WWE are going to start touring this summer. Mainly, they're going to start in Texas and then go from there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's you know like it's it's like everything else with wrestling. I don't think there's anything gigantic going on, but they're never short for news when it comes to the WWE or AEW right now. There's always a lot going on. Always a lot going on. Um, Going to stay up on all that for sure. And we have two Ultimate Warrior documentaries this week. How about that? Yeah, I know. And, and the family only hates one, so that's cool. <laughs> right. You had you had the good one that was produced by a company that has the Warrior Award that they give to, like, children and, like, inspiring people. Yeah. And then you have the other one that's literally called Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, which one is the uh, family not going to like? I don't know. Yeah, so uh, I, I will say that I enjoyed the first one. But I think the second one has a chance to be a bit more realistic Mm -hmm. when you actually hear about the real guy. (laughs) Very well might be the case. Uh, Kent Brown, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Hope to catch up with you soon. Always, dude. Have a good one. Huge thanks to Kent Brown for coming on today's show. I had to sneak in a little wrestling at the end, but always a pleasure to talk with him. Just 11 days into the hockey playoffs feels like a month, but it's only going to ramp up and only get better. So thanks again to Kent. All right, now it's time to talk with Ryan Souls about the NBA edition of their playoffs, what we like, what we don't, and some football news at the end with the Julio Jones and Aaron Rodgers news. Julio wants out. Rodgers might also still want out. We don't really know, but it's Ryan Souls to break all that down on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now back on the Money Mitch Effect because it's time to switch gears and talk a couple different things. Got friend of the show, reoccurring guest, Ryan Souls. Ryan, thanks for joining. We're almost into June, but uh, we're still kind of lagging on the sports calendar with uh, some makeups because of the COVID situation last year, but happy to have you on. Man, I'm happy to be here. Just We're going to go all over the place today. I'm usually uh, a football stronghold, but... Would appear where not a ton is going on, but a, a decent amount is going on at the same time. It's just a weird feeling. So happy to be here with you. Yeah, late May is when everything would be winding down and we're getting ready to the summer. But uh, like I mentioned, they had to kind of start all these seasons late. So we're still yeah. ramping. We're just ramping up. Uh, but first and foremost, uh, I just want to know how, how much you were celebrating Lefty getting his uh, major title. Because that was a you know a record-setting win for sure. Man, that was awesome to watch. I uh, 
I watched the last, probably the back nine on Sunday. I mean, he was playing really, really, really well, and it kind of got close a little bit there for a second when he dropped a shot, but he got it right back, and I'm glad he finally got it at 50 years old. It was good to see. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it was just a cool moment for people like us that grew up watching him and that the fact yeah. that he could you know find greatness one more time. It was cool. It was an eventful day, but um, credit to him because that, that story took center stage. They didn't take a backseat to anything that happened on Sunday. It was uh, very impressive for Phil, and who knows? Who knows what's left for him? Um, Ryan, I, I want to mention the NBA playoffs right now first and foremost with you because we're we're just getting going. It's a weird time to say that late May, but there's been a lot of different there's been a lot of different stories and a lot of different games. And uh, I think the first thing I'll start with is if you look at the Western Conference, you basically had every favorite quote unquote lose their first game. Some have tied the series up one one. We've seen uh, Denver bounce back in particular, but. Is this a sign of just, in your opinion, do you think it's just a sign of game one, a feeling out process? Or maybe could it be the first time we have some real parity? Because, you know, I've been a fan of parity in other sports, and I'd like to see some in basketball for a good competitive first round. Yeah, you know, I think it's honestly different for different games or different uh, matchups. Like for the Clippers and the Mavericks, I, I honestly think that um, that Mavericks team feels like if, if Porzingis doesn't get hurt last year, they have a shot to beat the Clippers. They aren't afraid of them. Um, and I, I don't think that was a matter of anything else except that team wanting some revenge. And I think we're seeing, you know, Luca as polished as he came in, uh, as young as he was, he, he his game is getting better especially in the big moments, and that's just awesome to see. You go to the Lakers and the Suns, you know, LeBron kind of has that filling out process, but, you know, I could talk forever about Anthony Davis. and <laughs> I just, don't think it's, a lot of it's going to be good. <laughs> man, not at all. Just And, and the, the biggest thing to me is I totally get into that whole narrative of kind of putting Aiden in this place. This is his first playoff experience. I get that, but my thing is, is, as talented as he is, the defense should never dictate what type of shot he gets at his size. And too often he's going backwards, and I don't understand yeah. why. I don't. I don't know if it's a Drummond thing. I don't know if it's a Vogel thing. But I honestly think, and I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I would like to see LeBron back as a point guard, Anthony Davis at the five, and you bring Schroeder off the bench and especially for this series because when Drummond's in the game Anthony Davis is at the top of the three-point line and he ain't a killer from out there no and and you're not alone in in saying that I live in Los Angeles and I talk to enough Laker fans some that are actually fans of his that that marvel at how someone so talented can at times be for lack of a better word soft on the court in Uh Anthony Davis's case Um, to go back to you know the original portion of this I do think parity is good. I like the fact that finally there's some drama in these series, you know, and I think it is a weird year and there's a different set of circumstances, yeah. as you said. But I don't like to just, I mean, that's my biggest problem with the first round and why I think it should go back to five games. It never will with the revenue, but I just think the fact is I want to see excitement from the get-go, you know. I, mm-hmm. love, I know football is not a series, but you love the fact that the wild card team can knock off a team that had a great regular season and won their division. So I think it is good. 
to have that. I think some of the matchups, actually, um, the way they kind of were developed, I think you have the Dallas Clippers thing. You have, in one case, a transcendent star on the rise in Luka Doncic, who's playing for his breakout moment, and a Clippers team that really isn't sure of themselves based on what I've seen. They've had some scar tissue there from the collapses of last year and beyond. So that's one series in particular. And I think the Lakers-Suns, I mean, we're, we're doing this before full disclosure, game two of those uh, series tip off, but it's a tough matchup for the Lakers. You know, they had a, a lot of injuries. They've got new supporting cast around their two stars. And the Suns had a great year and, again, have great young players. So I think the dominoes also fell in the right direction for us as sports fans to see some great first-round matchups. You also do have to take into account injuries. No Jamal Murray in Denver, and Donovan Mitchell didn't even play game one for Utah. So I think when you put it all together, that's going to make for some exciting uh, first round for a change. Definitely. And, and I don't know, like to your point earlier, if the excitement comes from the condensed season and players being injured. So that kind of messed with the seedings a little bit. I don't know if that has something that's to why do. a shorter regular season would be more fun. I mean, I that's another reason. And, I agree. Uh, so, if man. you if you have injuries or if you have if you decide to sit out with this whole load, load management movement, okay, but that could cost you more than it would. Um, and and I'm not you know while we're on the topic of just airing grievances, we've talked about how the 40 games and 40 nights just drags the playoffs on. Mm-hmm. Explain to me how they've they've spaced it out to where they do that, but you have both LA teams playing at the exact same time. It makes no sense to me. <laughs> and, and, and you have yeah you have. Both LA teams playing at the exact same time. One, you have to have cable to get, and <laughs> it, it makes no sense. And it's and not. and yeah, God forbid. You know, we had to get that early game, Brooklyn and Boston. We had to make sure the whole country saw that. Right, uh, just ridiculous. Well, we're gonna get. I want to get to the West in a little bit, but but before I do, I do have something to say, Ryan. And I'm not I'm not there yet, but it is possible. I'm starting to get this inclination that Boston could have an all-time or excuse me, Brooklyn could have an all-time historic team like it's trending in the direction of these this might be one of the greatest teams if not potentially the greatest playoff team of all time it's starting to look that way I mean it could I think it, it's still so early to tell just based on just what we saw with the Kevin Durant Warriors you know I, we got to see this team won a couple titles, I think, before we can even talk about that. And I say that just based on the styles. Is that uh, a different? I, is that a different question, though? I mean, for me, it is like greatest teams ever in terms of like dynasty. Is yes, you have to win multiple titles. But no, in terms I'm, of look, one I'm playoff, even looking you know, at yeah, it. Yeah. I'm looking at it as a as a um, one versus one. If those two teams played each other, and I, you know, if we clone Kevin Durant, obviously. I think I'm still leaning towards that Warriors team just yeah. because they they play better together. Fair, but in terms of pure talent, I think a lot of people can't ever recall seeing anything like Not, this. And I, and I wasn't a and you are 100 percent correct there. You know, we, we, so Kyrie and James Harden. So take your pick. Kyrie is the third best player on a right. team. I mean, that's uh-huh. that statement's just insane to begin it, with. It is. Um, I wasn't a fan of how it came together. I've been pretty open about that, Harden, how he got to Brooklyn. But give credit where credit's due. He's gotten himself in shape, and he, he's accepted his role. And, and you know, I, I just think that what this team's capable of doing, they're going to – I mean, I think we're in agreement. They're just going to roll through Boston. If Boston wins one game, it would be a minor miracle. But, you know, I, I just – I look at the playoffs in the Eastern Conference – 
And then, you know, you start to think what's going to come out of the West. Is it going to be a Lakers team? I don't want to, you know, it is too early to crown them, but it's trending in the direction of like that first Warriors team where there may, may have been some regular season drama, but they figured it out come playoff time. And then it was all steam ahead. And I think, you know, they lost one game or two games in that entire postseason. That is sure what it seems like. And, you know, I think the, the big thing for the Nets is going to be after Boston, as you get into some of the harder series when, you, when you're when you playing Milwaukee, potentially, Philadelphia, potentially after that, they're not going to necessarily have the luxury of being able to rest Kevin Durant or James Harden or Kyrie Irving uh, like they did throughout the regular season, especially uh, Kevin Durant and Harden. So yeah. a- as the minutes rack up, as the physicality racks up, you know, and I'm not rooting for anybody to get hurt, but I'm just curious to see how Kevin Durant responds with all those minutes, especially if he's going to play the four a lot more. And uh, I'm curious just with, you know, hamstrings with James, too. You bring up a good point, though, in, in the sense that if, like, let's look at this Boston series, for example. If they get up 3-0, that could be the perfect time to sit a guy like Duran if you want to just keep him fresh and you're not sure. But I would still probably favor Brooklyn to win, you know. And, and if they exactly. played some of these other series and they got a big lead, it doesn't mean that's just how gifted the other two guys are, that they can't mm-hmm. take on more of the load and win that game. And, and while we're at it, I think we got to give props to Steve Nash, who walked into his first head coaching job with a lot of pressure. Uh, a lot of you know weight on his shoulders, a la Steve Kerr. I think he did a great job bringing Dan Tony in, and I would compare it to uh, I know it's a college reference, but you know Juwan Howard brought Phil Martelli into Michigan, who was a St. Joe's coach for a while, to really help him kind of with that first job. And I think Nash is leaning a lot on his former coach as well. So props to our credits too. He had no chance of winning Coach of the Year with all that talent, but it was it's it's been good for Steve Nash and managing all the drama that he's had. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I think this team certainly had a high floor. So, you know, three of those superstars, I think, you know, too big to fail is kind of a, the appropriate analogy. Yeah. But I definitely will give credit. Um, and I'll give some credit on the defensive end because I really thought they were going to be turnstiles. Uh, and that's why coming into the season, I thought a lot of teams were going to have a chance against Brooklyn. Um, because if you could just get a couple stops and they can't, if they can't stop you from scoring and you got a superstar, then in a seven-game series, if you can take them to six games, you know you put them in a position where they're not comfortable. Well, I think it might be time for the big picture discussion on it, and I think your thought process would have been accurate as little as maybe eight, ten years ago. But right. the way basketball is right now, you can outscore teams with that level of talent, you know. And and look. Mm-hmm. I'm old school like yourself. I would appreciate it if defense was more, if offensive players didn't get every single call, if they tightened it up a little bit. Um, but mm-hmm. the way it is, I mean, I just, look, the, the the scoring is the way the league's gone. They've made that decision. And if Brooklyn's saying, look, our best chance is to outscore you, I really like that philosophy for them because yeah. you've got three guys that can go for 60 in any given night. Absolutely. I mean, that's what they're built for. And I, I agree 100%. Uh, I think big picture, though, to your point, you know, I, I was talking about this with a friend of mine, just what rule changes would be possible. And we, and we weren't trying to change every rule. If, if you could have one rule to change, you think that would make the games just a little bit more fun to watch. And I said hand checking. 
if they just brought back hand checking and I think we would see how it has an effect on guys who play downhill if, yeah. if it would happen. But I think at least defenses would have some sort of strategy to deal with this the superior athleticism because the three and D guy is slowly getting phased out of the NBA because everyone's skilled. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, uh, if we're not counting that stupid rule where they move the ball up three quarters at the last minute of the game, if we're going to take that out. But you know, that, that's been, uh, that was around in the early I know. 2000s. I, I know. That's true. I just. 79 to 75. We, and, we, and, and, that, and that myth got, they're like excitement. Like that myth got debunked no little as last March Madness when Gonzaga had to inbound it, went the length of the court real time, and made the play. So. Yep. Look, you have to earn it everywhere else. But we've we've talked about that before. Um, that's a good one. Hand checking. Mine would be simple though. We're going to enforce traveling, because I think what you yeah. would have is you would really limit a lot of these collisions where guys get galloping starts to the hoop, um, and I think that would do a good job to kind of you know make it a little tougher to get buckets. Uh, so that's a good one. That makes one. sense. You know, I think there's so many plays where there is contact, but it's like as a defender, what do you do when a guy takes that third step or? the crab dribble or the hop step and then two that's the yeah, one that the, really yeah the, ga- yeah, the, the gather yeah. step they call that's, it that's that's the, the one I, I don't understand so uh, oh, those, those would be good ones ryan souls here on the money mitch effect well with the eastern conference i mean is it safe to say we can already just not just pencil maybe pen in the three of the four teams like three of the four series are pretty much going to go as expected are you there yet i yeah i'm, I'm pretty much there with you man I brooklyn's am. in um, the Sixers shouldn't have trouble. I know it's one game. The Sixers will be fine with Washington. And, and really, I think we're on the same page, too. That says more about Washington. Like, Philly still has to earn their stripes, and they'll get that chance. But Absolutely. it's not going to be now. Um, and then the Milwaukee Bucks, who credit where credit's due, they've looked like an established, dominant postseason team in game two. Uh, the Heat have just completely fallen off, Ryan. And, and I wonder if that's... This is where I'm going to ask you the question. Is it more along the lines of this team was really just putting itself too much on Jimmy Butler's back as he kind of takes a step back and doesn't recreate the greatness in the bubble? Or, you know, is is the talent or the players that we thought were good in the bubble maybe not so much as advertised uh, outside of a play-in tournament inside uh, Walt Disney World? Well, I think I love the way Jimmy Butler plays. So this is no disrespect to him. But I think Jimmy Butler's kind of the – the definition of what a good versus great player is. Jimmy Butler is a good player who has a great work ethic. And on some nights when he can get streaky and get hot, what happened in the finals where he looked like uh, he was about to snatch LeBron's heart out in those 40-point games in the finals uh, can happen. But then other times he will go 8 for 32 over two games. So I, I don't know if it was just a fluke because I think that team, uh, the way it was built, how they were shooting, the defense they were playing, I think they earned their way there. But the fact that Tyler Hero's not getting on the floor a lot doesn't make a whole bunch of sense to me. Oladipo's hurt. So I yeah. think, you know, that would be interesting to see also. But real quick, uh, just going to the Bucks. We're kind of seeing a situation where Giannis might not have to close anymore. Holiday and Middleton might be able to close for him, and if that's the case, they're dangerous. Yeah, Bryn Forbes really stepping up too, and uh, you know this is what Middleton is supposed to be here for. I think that's great, and I think Drew Holiday on the defensive end really is alleviating a lot of the pressure for his team. 
But I just just going back to the Heat, I just th- I felt like they were it was hanging on by a thread, Ryan. I mean, you had guys like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Iguodala, who's got a lot of miles on, Goran Dragic. I mean, they had great great runs in the bubble, but these aren't what you would call the the running mates for championship teams. And you know, I just think you're expecting too much of the roster as constructed. Like, I don't think yeah, that. You look at this right. roster, and even if Jimmy Butler puts together some great games, I just don't think anybody would say this is a championship-level roster. Now, if he plays right. bad, then it's, you know, then you're going to get Yeah, then they're horrible. Yeah, you're yeah. getting destroyed. Yeah. So that's going to be a tough one. And uh, the last series, Knicks and Hawks, which is, I mean, honestly, Ryan, it's a perfect 4-5 matchup. These are two teams that overachieved in a lot of ways, and they're young teams that – I think for lack of a better term, I mean, they don't really have title aspirations this year. But to win a series is going to be huge for their development. So I'm excited to see how this shakes out. I think it could go and and probably will go six to seven games. But I just think it's funny because both teams, they just struggle so much on the defensive end that I'm really expecting last shot to win a lot of these games. Yeah, they struggle on the defensive end. And I think the underrated part of this with fans being back in the arena and Knicks fans, particularly with Trey Young's style of basketball, just makes is going to make for some great television. And having the Knicks back in the playoffs is always good for the league. But with somebody like Trey Young, who yeah. as soon as he turns the corner on you, just stops. He's not even looking for a shot. He stops the nutmegs, all that. Be I careful mean, I just, who you shush, man. That's the other thing. I mean, yeah. it's a killer. A hundred percent. It's uh, it's been fun though. Um, I, I think the I think the Hawks, their turnaround has been good. I I really do think that they're probably built for it more this year. Depending on you know, props to Derrick Rose for kind of resurrecting his career as well. Yeah, but uh, changing his game completely. Yeah, well he had to absolutely had to. Um, now, now looking at the Western Conference, I mean, we kind of mentioned it. The the two series that aren't getting as much uh, pub, Denver and Portland. You know, no Jamal Murray in that one. I think Portland's going to have a chance, but man, I, I'm 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 really it's really tough. As much as I love Dame, he's probably my favorite player in the NBA. I feel like Jokic is going to have enough to lead his team past Portland. Now, I think they have flaws in their in their team roster without Murray, but. I like Jokic to do it and adjust his game. His step up in the game, too, and figuring out that he can't just be the one to outscore everybody, I thought was a nice adjustment. Absolutely. And and the thing about it is the, the Nuggets have no answers for Lillard or McCollum, and the um, Blazers have no answer for Jokic. But I think, like you said, the playmaking and uh, Michael Porter Jr. really stepping up yeah. in a big way. And no shade on Jamal Murray, but and I, maybe I told you this last year, but I said you know in the bubble, if I thought Michael Porter Jr. was going to be the second best player on the team by the time they made the playoffs again, and I don't know if that's true, but I think for them to get to that championship level, I think Michael Porter needs to be the second best player, not Jamal Murray. Because he's, 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 he's a big I, guy. I hear you know, what you're saying. I'm always going to take the size. Maybe not. I mean, maybe not second best. Maybe like two A, two B situation. Because Murray, I mean, they they ask him to do a lot too. But I I see what you're saying. And also, I mean, to that point, if if you can't stop Lillard and you can't stop Jokic, well, I give the advantage to the bigger guy that can do more inside. So. Um, I will say, if Portland wins that series like they did a couple years ago, I won't be shocked. But I would be shocked if Memphis pulls it off in seven in Utah. 
I mean, John Morant's looked great, and, and Dylan Brooks as well. But Utah has to win this series, Ryan, right? I mean, they have to find a way to get past this Memphis team. Yeah, they have to. And, you know, I think, to be honest, it's weird because as well as John Moran is playing, as well as Brooks is playing, I don't think it's going to be a problem when Donovan Mitchell returns. I think it, I think they'll get tested, but I do think the Jazz will win. But I think the bigger story here is I think everyone wanted to see the Warriors in this position. And I think that's why, you know, you mentioned series that were kind of under mentioned before. And I don't think the Jazz are boring to watch at all. I like to watch Mitchell and I like um, the way they play. But I think everyone wanted to see what would happen if Steph Curry was live in this tournament. And I think that may have been the letdown as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean the Warriors team had their flaws, right? And I mean they're not, oh, yeah. you know, they were just they were carried by the most maybe the most exciting players still in basketball. So yeah, we wanted him in the in the big dance, so to speak. But mm-hmm. um, it's not like they were with the way the roster is with Clay's injury, they were going to do much. And oh. and Memphis is more gritty, and you know, than I that. do think it's funny that Conley's playing against his old team. It is funny. I mean, it would be it would be tragic, you could say, if they if he wasn't able to beat his old team. But yeah, man, lot to go there. Um, lastly, on the NBA, are you worried at all about as a Laker fan? Are you worried about you know the series now that Phoenix took Game One? And and I know people are saying that maybe they're not as feared. Barkley said that as they're not as feared as before. But you know, you worried at all? Um, I think tonight is really going to answer that question for me. Uh, I just I got to see how this team meshes when they're desperate when the way they played against the Warriors trying to get into the, the seventh seed I like the way they played but they still look rusty I think if they win tonight I'm not going to be worried but if they lose tonight even going back home down 2-0 Booker shows out tonight and if Anthony Davis gets pumped by DeAndre Aiden I don't like my chances so tonight we'll answer that question I think it's it's Totally fair to give LeBron and Anthony Davis, guys that were there last year, the benefit of the doubt to being able to turn it on, even though you have to wonder about age and mileage And in LeBron's case. There's a lot of role players that are new to this team, and they don't have that right with me, you know, that they can just Not turn it on. So that's where I'm at, and I think Phoenix is a game team, and they're, you know, they had a good year. But, yeah, it'll determine what happens when this series gets close. Um, I think it's great. I actually think it's great for Phoenix that they get the Lakers early before they played into postseason form. I think this is their best chance to beat them right out the gate. So, Yeah, I think this is their best chance to beat them, but I think palms are going to get sweaty if the Lakers take a lead in this series and Phoenix was, you know, the higher seed here. Having, you know, Lakers are yeah. favorite in Vegas, but, you know, losing to the lower seed, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's, it, it doesn't look the best. Having Chris Paul there will help for that moment, though. You know, like Devin Booker's the best player. Aiton is maybe the most important player. But they're going to need to lean on Paul's experience, too, and the fact that, you know, even though they're friends, he's not afraid of LeBron for sure. Uh, no. Ryan Soul's Money Mitch Effect, before we wrap this up, some NFL news, two stories in particular, one being uh, Julio Jones, maybe unbeknownst or, or maybe a setup on national television, but he officially wants out of Atlanta, which – we can get into the theatrics of it all, um, but the fact is he, behind the scenes, had wanted out discussing that. But this is, you know, nine-year run, essentially, with the same team. Nine, ten years with Atlanta. Accomplished a lot. One of the all-time NFL careers as a receiver. But 
I can't be that shocked, Ryan, that he wants out, given the fact that it just hasn't happened for the franchise. I'm not shocked at all, but, you know, I do wonder this. If the Falcons knew before the draft, and I feel like they had to know that Julio probably wanted out, at that point, why don't you just completely commit to the rebuild? Well, I, Look, I agree with you, but, like, the asking price, and this is where we can get into it, like, is the asking price a non-starter? They wanted a first-round pick. I love Julio Jones with everything that's happened and with the teams not really knowing if it's for real, right? Like, are they serious right. about this? That exactly. is just a high ask for a player that, you know, you could definitely make the case that his best football is behind him. I mean, you can make that case, but I think Julio could easily go for 1,500 yards this season and no one would be shocked. I think I'd be more shocked if he – it's like if he plays those games, it doesn't shock me, right? But it, he's got right. it on the field, and that's the problem for him. Uh, committing to the rebuild is one thing, and, and, and this is where I'll give Atlanta a pass, right? If they weren't absolutely in love with, like, Justin Fields or whoever the fourth quarterback was, mm-hmm. I don't mind them just, you know, not going quarterback there isn't necessarily a bad thing in terms of having to commit to the rebuild. But the Pitts pick was the best player for a team that, you know, is looking to keep it going or at least build on some success. Yeah, 100%. The, you know, I, I think Pitts was definitely the best player available. But to that point, I just wonder, you know, like you said, you would have had to have been in love with Justin Fields because I'm just thinking you commit to the rebuild, you look to get a quarterback and see what you can get from Matt Ryan too. So, yeah. but, you know, I, I'm not saying that, uh, Ridley and Pitts can't be effective together if Julio's gone before the season starts. But just drafting Pitts made sense, you know, having Julio and Ridley on both sides and trying to recreate the greatest show on turf with, you know, and then it makes sense to extend Matt Ryan. But now with uh-huh. Julio gone, I, I don't know what you decide to do with Matt Ryan because now this tells me you're not trying to really compete for a playoff spot if you ship him. Well, the timing is just is odd because you make this deal, you, you figure out a way to do it before the draft if they had notice. You can restock with picks, you can add players then. It's a little easier to rebuild. Um, but that said, I mean, Matt Ryan, I don't think he's completely washed. Like, he had a solid oh. year, and, and I think he's still adequate and, and can be good in a lot of cases. Uh, that, that being said, Ryan, I just... I don't know. I don't know what the market is for Julio. I don't know if there is. I mean, you don't want to give him away for basically the cheap. You know, that's that's what they can't do. If you're going to be serious about rebuilding, and that's where I do think it's fair to hold firm. You tell teams, look, we're, this isn't going to be a DeAndre Hopkins situation. No, not at all. I mean, you you got to try to get as much for him as you can. you got to try to support the new coach. And really, if you're going to trade Julio, it'd be nice if you could get a receiver back. Do you think do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to be coming back? Because he's still been been making his statements, and you know it's. I, I'll give Aaron Rodgers this. While I do think he's totally d- dramatic in a lot of ways, he's mm-hmm. making sure that now that he's speaking publicly, that there's no qualms about who he's mad at. It's not the team. It's not the players. It's not the city. It's not the franchise. He's directing his focus in one singular uh, area. Exactly. And, and one singular area, two people, Murphy and Gutenkust. And I think that I don't think it's fixable. 
But the Packers have no incentive to trade Aaron Rodgers. Not one. They do not, not. have one reason to trade him. None. They have to go down with the ship. I mean, they have to, right? 100%. <laughs> and and who, who wants that blood on their hands? What GM wants to say or have I traded Aaron Rodgers on my resume and then he goes and wins the Super Bowl for the team he gets traded to? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I completely am – behind Aaron Rodgers because I do think that the way the Packers do things, the worst part about the way they do things is that they've had good quarterbacks over the last 20 years that they can take credit for the success, but not often building in free agency, always trying to build through the draft, not drafting well, uh, not getting the input of players of Aaron Rodgers' ilk, you know, but you have back-to-back NFC championships, but you, you look at the team and you think that they can be so much more potent if they got him one weapon. Uh, and I think that's where Aaron is coming from. Yeah. Here. I would say my final prediction on this, unless we get new info, obviously, is whatever happens this year, it's the last year. They could go undefeated and win the Super Bowl. I think he's gone after this year. I really do. I think he'll play yeah. this year and that's it. And I don't know how the how the contract is set up in terms of the number of years left, but I don't see why the Packers wouldn't keep them until they have to absolutely force get them to set out and force it to be this whole thing. Yeah, because yeah. It, it, it's not like a Brett Favre and Rodgers situation where Rodgers was ready. We have no indication that Jordan Love is ready. Yeah. None at all. He wasn't yeah. in the backup last year. Uh, Remains to be seen, but uh, we'll be we'll be keeping our eyes on it. Ryan Souls, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate you coming on. We'll have to monitor the NBA playoffs, see how our picks are going. But uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you, man. And that will do it for today's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again to Kent Brown and Ryan Souls for appearing as guests. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. A reminder that you can catch the full catalog of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It comes right up. And check out The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page where we did post last week the entire Zoom video of last week's episode with KCAL Sports announcer as well as Clipper sideline reporter Jamie Maggio. Full Zoom is available there. The full podcast is also in the archives. Check it out on the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. You know the deal. We'll be back next week to talk more sports and to do it as only we and only I can. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening and keep enjoying sports.